So we take up uh, collected works of Sri Aurobindo, volume uh, six seven, Bandi Matram. It's titled Bandi Matram, and the title is actually given after a paper, newspaper, or a you know, uh, which Sri Aurobindo used to edit. Actually, there is a history of the paper, and we'll touch upon that. The title is taken from there, but the volume itself does not contain only the writings in the Bandi Matram, and also there are some of the writings in Bandi Matram which are not part of the volume. So it's a bit, you know, one should be clear about that part. So we will just touch a little bit upon the history of Bandi Matram itself. As we know, Shurabindu had come to uh, Bengal in 1905. and many people believe that uh, you know we like to cut life into pieces and slices so there is a baroda period when shubindu is a professor principal and all that and then suddenly he becomes a revolutionary then a yogi it's not true at all shubindu don't word say that it's not true when he was asked about uh, india he says right in 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 england he had taken a resolution that he will uh, participate and work for india's freedom right then and there in england and therefore there are um, couple of writings in 1890 you know the first very first writing which we will see in bande matram is there in 1890 to 1892 where he speaks about you know journalism the need of the hour and all that and as soon as he came he actually started that work so in shurbindo's own words he came and he started that work and that work was publishing some uh, articles in Indu Prakash, which was started by one of his friends, uh, Desh Pandey, whom he had met in Cambridge. He was a Cambridge friend, so he was editing the uh, Indu Prakash, and um, the proprietor was Ranade. So he asked Shurvindo to write, and Shurvindo started writing. And when we look at the very first uh, editorial, where he says that you know a new voice has come, which will, uh, which is both. Um, Uh, extremely intelligent voice analytical voice which can look at things with a new way and give a new perspective and shurbindo started writing but he had barely written two articles that the uh, proprietor mr ranade he felt that this is too fiery and he believed uh, that uh, this won't go because if we continue this way we'll be charged and we all will be in the jail so their policy was that time to supplicate that see after all we agree that you are great britishers but uh, give us something give us some rights little bit of uh, you know uh, some freedom to have a seat in the parliament maybe have a chit to sit along with the british sahib this was the whole approach or maybe some representation of the people little bit of a problems but shurbindo started on a very high note that no this is not acceptable this is um the our land and we have a right to of self determination so he started from there so when after two articles mr ranade asked desh pande ji to convey to shurbindo <laughs> to write in a little more moderate tone so shurbindo says in fact he said you write a little more scholarly way and shurbindo has said very clearly that he never was scholarly he said i read very little but i have made the most of what i have read this how should be put it so he he of course that's his humility he would carry trunk full of books to devgar we all know that but even that for him is very little so when shurbindo uh, when he was told to write in a moderate tone 
then after the second article he lost interest so it started you know coming very infrequently so over years ultimately he wrote some eight to nine articles so we have the articles from the hindu prakash that tab i'll need um because i'll need to see that volume so he started writing and um, hindu prakash articles are also there as part of the volume then there are several other articles which he has written at different points of time uh, one of them is very interesting that at in 1900 because bande matram started in 1906 so in 1900 when the year turns or rather the millennium turns so shurbindo um wrote something which we'll see in the art, uh, this thing as old moor for 1901 people will wonder what is this old moor so old moor is a almanac like we have our panchang no so in almanac what is uh, given it's like a prophecy when will the moon rise when will the sun rise but the old moor used to pick up some astrologers and those astrologers will also give some predictions like bejandaru wala and all this you know so this was an almanac and shurabindo gives an almanac in 1901 and if we look at that almanac it's about spanish revolution and this and that it's already is moving as if in a wide world field and is very amazing that that kind of a vision shurabindo has at that point of time so there is this writing and another one which he is very interesting So India Renaissance is the first article and India and the British Parliament so they were written before coming to India so the revolution was always already there and the reason why Shurbindo gave up these articles and then took time to plunge into the freedom struggle outwardly is because by his own admission he realized that the field is not ready so he was not the one who will just rush into action without really stepping back and taking a complete look at the field so he spent time from almost 1893 1894 to 1902 and finally 1905 almost 8 to 10 years where he studied the field he wanted to understand completely about what the real situation is and he saw that india is lying completely in a state of tamas helpless um, devoid of its own truth its own spirit and then he plunged into this um, whole movement so at the turn of the century shubindo writes something very interesting the last century of the second millennium after christ has begun of the 20 centuries it seems the most full of incalculable possibilities and to open the widest door on destiny this is he is writing in 1900 1901 so already we can see a prophetic um, foresight anyone when he will look back last 2000 years 2500 years we will see that actually the last century was amazing in every way whether we see in terms of the two great wars whether we see in terms of new idea forces whether we see in terms of man entering the space whether we see in terms of the world being knit together as you know more or less one family it is amazing and shobindo is writing all this in the beginning and this is also published in one of his poems in the moonlight that is also 1900 which is a very prophetic poem about what he is seeing about the future even a vision of science so even before he undertook conscious yoga so very often when we go by shobindo took up yoga in 1904 1905 we forget what mother has always said shobindo is the humblest of the humble so he had all these things without conscious yoga 
and yet he would not you know because he is full of humility unless it arrives at some degree of perfection he would not say oh you know i used to foresee things but that's shurabindu but if we believe that you know he was not already a yogi one can see all these things here the mind of humanity feels it is conscious of a voice of a distant advancing ocean and a sound as of the wings of a mighty archangel flying toward the world was he not presaging the new world which is like an ocean coming with wings of a mighty archangel um, towards earth but whether to empty the vials of the wrath of god or to declare a new gospel of peace upon earth and goodwill into men is as yet dark to our understanding shobindu says in one of his um, autobiographical notes that even while he was in uk he had the feeling that great revolutions are going to come and he is going to play a very important part in it so very clearly we can say that there was already the yogi the revolutionary all of them were already there within him and beginning to emerge but look at this whether to empty the vials of the wrath of god the two great wars it was literally the dance of kali of the rudra forces empty the vials of god wrath of god or to declare a new gospel of peace upon earth and goodwill unto men which is the second half of the previous century so he had already foreseen these events at the beginning as we can see it then he wrote something on the congress movement i'll just read a little bit you will feel he wrote it yesterday so without uh, much ado and without just just remember the background is <laughs> <laughs> this is likely to be misused and misquoted the background is then congress which was following the possibility of the moderates and uh, prayer and supplication and the nationalist party of which bipin pal shorbindo and bal gangadhar tilak they were the ones who were the foreigners of the nationalist party and what was the difference nationalist party believed in poorn swaraj it did not believe in half way measures and half way homes it believed that there should be complete independence so this is the nationalist party whereas congress believed no britishers can be there but give us some little bit some crumbs left over so shirbindo first describes the story he uses the word the parable of sati so he describes the story of sati and we all know that you know Uh, daksh prajapati the yagna how it is destroyed because uh, and he describes it in in a very brief note that uh, daksh is the one who wants to govern the world in a certain way he has certain formulas certain ideas but in his world he discards uh, mahadev to whom sati is married and then uh, sati consumes herself in the fire and mahadev comes and he destroys the yagna and he destroys the prajapati and then a goat's head is fixed all that we know is the story and shubindu recounts it in a small passage but look at the sense he derives which was so relevant at that point of time and who knows relevant till date and we read it it's again very prophetic there was a daksh to in india after telling the story <laughs> look at the humor there was a daksh to in india which was called the indian national congress <laughs> like daksha it was a great figure look at the past tense a prajapati with numerous offspring full of dignity sobriety wisdom and much esteemed by the gods the daksh too had a daughter 
whom he loved the young indian nation when the time for her marriage came she chose for herself the bridegroom offered to her by the rishis who declared him to be mahadev so he is mahadev the spirit of india in beggarly clothes but yet a mighty spirit so she chose that the destiny of india and her fated lord it was at sacred banaras that she first saw mahadev face to face and betrothed herself to him but the marriage took place at calcutta with a fourfold mantra so <laughs> a young indian nation married the soul of india and what was the mantra swaraj swadeshi boycott national education till date if you google search about swaraj swadeshi passive resistance boycott you will see uh, somebody's name and then jumps to but mahatma gandhi adopted these ideas and uh, you know implemented them if you read through the bande matram pages and even before you will it's so clear it's an evidence that it is shurabindu who had laid down all the lines and that is why when somebody asked shurabindu that why did you leave the movement and come he said because i had already laid down the lines along which india will arrive at freedom and i had to do other works which are far greater or far greater importance so already by the time he had come he had released the idea forces laid down the lines along which india will lead us or rather instruments will be created who will uh, you know be instrumental in leading inter- in india towards freedom but it was along the lines that shurabindu had initiated now of course swaraj was uh, he says that there was a man called deuskar in um in in maharashtra he was the one who had spoken about it in one of the articles then shubindu says see this is the difference of a greatness there are people who have plagiarized shubindu including these ideas but don't acknowledge and here is shubindu saying there is a maharashtrian called a maharashtrian by the name of devuskar he is the one who had first used the word swaraj and then he said i took that idea and develop it to its utmost and of course we know that bal gangadhar tilak asking for poon swaraj but subsequently its meaning and everything got diluted by the prajapati the marriage as the sacred formula of union national education swadeshi swaraj and boycott passive resistance also he speaks about he has not spoken here but in bande matram writing we'll see the marriage did not please daksha now we know who daksha is but the rishi is very importunate and sati form so he was compelled to give way he cursed the rishis freely what manner of husbands this they have given to my sati a homeless beggar wild and half crazy with the bhang he has drunk wandering on the hills in company with the wild beast and the demons without culture enlightenment and education rude in speech rough in manners ill clad destitute with no past no present and no future this is exactly how we see a kind of so called uh, liberal secular media describing india of the past what is it superstition this that it is the western education which has brought enlightenment even will will till date you know you will see this yet these fanatics call him the master of the world an embodiment of the almighty and what not so he hid his grief and wrath but determined to be revenged for maha for mahadev the mighty the destiny of india had long wandered in the wilderness with a beggar's bowl in his hand poor and destitute 
an ascetic smeared with ashes and clad in a tiger skin so if you look at india in the what is called as the middle ages where was india living among these bhakti movements these saints and sages but in real um, in politics in the governance in everywhere else administration who was governing it the alien and the foreign rulers so this is how this was the state of india then with no home in which he could lay down his head and when he came to the marriage it was in fear some guys and in evil company drunk with the bhang of a wild inspiration shouting bam bam bande mataram <laughs> so so the the prajapati couldn't understand what is all this you are supposed to behave decently don't be uncouth uncivil wild you're supposed to wear a suit nicely dressed speak in chaste english sit with the englishman with fork and spoon and say yes sir this is how we want things to be but this is shiva came shiva is who the destiny of india it walked into that marriage hall how <laughs> with bam bam bande matram <laughs> look at shirobindo at the top of his mighty voice disreputable in appearance and unfit to associate with polite and cultured gentlemen <laughs> such as daksha had hitherto made his friends who were these polite gentlemen the britishers with whom daksha had made friends and who is daksha the international congress had made friends poor shaggy ill clad with no visible means of existence and no tangible prospects in the future and his companions were a wild company of lathi bearing national volunteers and other disquieting phantasms quite out of place in daksha's tastefully got up an elegant marriage pandal so were these people rough crude people you know they are doing picking up a lathi and they talk about india's revolution can they even speak proper english and they are speaking of that not sure when that come to lead them just imagine how could daksh realize that in this uncouth figure was the destroyer and creator of an universe this is shurabindo writing you know way way before he was so certain about the india's freedom and independence being already sanctioned by destiny how could daksh realize one who held the fate of india and of the world in his hands the rishis only knew it and they were called visionaries and fanatics for their pains then he continues daksh prepared a great annual sacrifice in the year after the marriage and held it with much pomp but he determined to exclude mahadev the mighty the result is known to everybody the destiny of india whom daksh tried to exclude came in wrath and knocked at the hall of sacrifice and when daksha hired men tried to beat him back he broke into the hall and shattered the sacrifice and slew daksh in his hall this is a article which people have not published in part of the bande matram because they were never very sure and by then shubindu had um, you know withdrawn from his physical body and that uh, article is titled the slaying of congress it's just for information it's called as the slaying of congress the story goes that mahadev entreated on behalf of daksh restored him to life but when the head of daksha was sought for it could not be found see the symbol now <laughs> and <laughs> you can laugh at it looks like he is writing it today 
and when the head could not be found and so a goat's head <laughs> was incontinently clapped on the unfortunate prajapati's shoulders who is prajapati is the international congress and a goat's head has been put because head could not be found well <laughs> whatever it means <laughs> accordingly these wise men found a goat's head which they called a creed creed and stuck it on the shoulders of daksh and put life into his trunk and swore that this goat headed legless anomaly should in future be called daksh unfortunately they made the whole thing more grotesque by clapping on the goat's head the wrong way so that its face was turned backward and when the crippled monster tried to show itself along its progress was retrogression and its advance a retreat and then he speaks about mahadev who meanwhile destroys everything and he says the convention is already developing parties and in the wild times that are coming the nationalist also will break up into parties some of which will make the present designation of extremism as applied to us look an absurdity for after the death of the congress the unity of india which was the daughter of the congress must break up into factions and groups so it's seen the breaking up into several factions and the political life of india will become an anarchy but not forever for sati will be born again on the high mountains of mighty endeavor colossal aspiration unparalleled self sacrifice the the will she will be born again in a better and more beautiful body and by terrible tapasya she will meet mahadev once more and be wedded to him in nobler fashion with kinder auguries for a happier and greater future for this thing is written in the book of god and nothing can prevent it that sati shall wed mahadev that the national life of india shall meet and possess its divine and mighty destiny it looks like he has foreseen everything right down to our present times and he is it has simply to unfold through ways and means and circumstances and all else so this was and then we have number of writings now there is a very interesting piece of writing bhavani mandir so some people uh, attributed to shirbindo some don't the fact is in shirbindo's own words he says i wrote it at the instance of barin but it is shirbindo's writing though in the pamphlet it was if you see the pamphlet it signed by barin Barend Kumar Ghosh, and based on this pamphlet, which the British government had seized, the sedition trial was started, and of course the entire papers and all this were seized. Otherwise, Shubhendu's writings were so beautifully well worded that no piece of evidence could actually be found for which he could be charged for prosecution for sedition. This is the only piece which was written at the instance of Barend, and yet he wrote it. So it is his own writing; he doesn't disown it. and it's a beautiful piece of writing very powerful and i suppose one of the reasons why shirbindo was not keen on writing it is simply because it did attract the attention of the british government and he said that till then i was working quietly it is the british government which through the sedition case made me well known and famous otherwise he would have loved to stay in the background so that is the reason why he didn't want this article to become so public and yet it was made public and while shirbindo dropped the idea after writing 
there he analyzes very beautifully that a temple has to be constructed for Bhavani. It was inspired by the Naga revolt. So all the sannyasins will go there, they will live as brahmacharis and they will lead an armed revolt. Shubindu knew that, you know, India is not prepared for that. It's too much in tamas. Uh, and yet he wrote it, it would inspire, you know, at least some kind of awaken a fire. And um, in that he analyzes that the cause of India's decline is basically mayavad. And this um, mayavad and will for knowledge, he says that knowledge we have enough. Jnana we have. And then he says we have also bhakti. But what we don't have is power. And that's what we see in Savitri toward the end. When death says that, okay, knowledge is with you. Do you have the power? He knew it. And that's why we see that Sri Aurobindo following that path wherein knowledge and power meet together. When he went to uh, Vishnu Bhaskar Lele, he his question was that, I want India to be free. His seeking was for power to make India free. He was not seeking some God realization at that point of time. And Lele gave him a process that we all know as part of his biography that uh, in January while he was editing the Bande Matram. So in Bande Matram we will see that there are two different editors. The first six or eight months or few months I think, uh, less than six months for sure. I think July to October, four or five months. It is edited by... Bipin Pal and after that it is edited by Shurbindo and they mention it uh, Bipin Pal is 6th August to 15th October 196 so just about 3 months and from that point onwards it is edited by Shurbindo now here again we see that 1908 while he is continuing to edit the newspaper Shurbindo has that experience of Nirvana in January I think it is 7th January uh, 1908 in Baroda, where, uh, you know, Lele, Vishnu Bhaskar Lele's uh, Barin comes to know of him and he comes and um, three days he shut himself in a room where he was just pushing the thoughts away. And because that's what Lele told him. But Shurabindu says, after that, he had really nothing to do with Lele because he had learned to de- rely completely on the inner guide. Lele himself told him that, can you, because he was also surprised, he never expected this result. Lele, if we go into, he was, a, he had the thing about Tantra and he was a Bhakt. So it's like, if you want to put him in, into a category, it is like Vaishnava Tantra. And he didn't expect that what Shurabindu will end up realizing. So he told that, uh, can you follow the God inside you? He said, yes, I can hear his voice and follow him. He said, then you better follow that because he didn't know how to guide him further. And then Sri goes to Pune, gives his first speech and he asks him, Pune, Bombay, lot of places he toured in Maharashtra. Pune, Nasik, Nagpur, quite a few talks, uh, Bombay of course and uh, uh, Amravati, shouldn't forget. And then he went to Bengal where he toured Bengal. All this happened after the Nirvana experience. He gave some almost, uh, I think 15-20 speeches. And in those those speeches were recorded. I mean recorded means somebody had noted. Not recorded, his voice has not been recorded, but they were noted and the newspaper published it. So they also form part of this. Now what I found interesting in these uh, lot of articles, there are very, uh, there is a new kind of uh, column that Shurabindu started and that was called By the Way. So he would, you know, just some 
some views some some event has taken place and he would write all that and for instance he picks up necessities the mother of inventions so i'll i'll read some of them uh, in this same um, bande matram writings we see shobindo installing uh, bankim chandra as a rishi so he uses the word rishi bankim chandra and along with that we see through the bande matram so bande matram did three four things one we see shobindo emerging as a journalist in the truest sense his very first article is about what journalism should be what it is in england and he says the power of the journalist to sway public opinion 120 years back 30 years he says journalists have a great power to sway public opinion in favor or against it and people don't realize it that the journalist can literally change the whole in fact the destiny of a nation so shurbindo speaks about it and he himself uses it very beautifully so we have first the hindu prakash articles then we have um bande matram and we also have a a bengali english um, journal which was called yugantar in which also shobindo contributed at least three articles unfortunately nothing of that has been saved it didn't survive but it it was also one of the places where shobindo wrote um in bangla and then of course after the alipur jail we see uh, bengali uh, dharma and we see karmyogin so this this entire journalistic if i may use the word career of shobindo uh, where he comes out as a journalist who not only looks at appearances this is the beauty of his journalism journalist look at appearances and give opinions and for opinions they called experts who are as much blinded by appearances as anybody else but shurbin those penetrating inside could look deep into the heart of things and pluck the truth out and that's what we see in his writings maybe uh, we can read couple of things from there he speaks about you know uh, what really india is so he says we have three types of body gross subtle and causal even till date with all the media and journalism and opinions even of baba ji's and everybody nobody has brought this truth about india in with such clarity and force so he says what really is a nation we are still to touch that point even the nationalism is still confined largely to either a cultural revival or the uh, geographical boundary but that india is a conscious living soul that is an idea which shurbindo has implanted in the race so he says we have three types of body gross subtle and causal the sthul sukshma and the karan sharir which is how the upanishad describes it in the same way the nation has three bodies according to our philosophy it is not only the outward appearance the gross body that makes a complete man all three bodies have to be taken into account only then can we get some understanding of him we look at a person outwardly we look at him little bit how he speaks uh, whether he is well dressed or not uh, whether he can speak good english or not whether he can eat with spoon and fork or not that's how we judge human beings but the real cause is that causal body we don't see and that's why we cannot understand anyone as with a man so with a nation to think about a nation is first to think about a physical motherland so here he describes the physical motherland what is india 
Stretching from the Himalayas in the north to Kanyakumari in the south, its boundaries are formed by the seas on the east and west. This is exactly how the ancient rishis formed the boundary of India. And they had done it with a very simple formula. Some of us may have, may remember, I have forgotten the shloka. But when we used to take bath, so now we have all these showers. So it used to be, <laughs> you know, a little lota. So a, a ball and you take water and put it. There were no geysers, so you heat it on coal. Sometimes you preferred, let's take a cold water bath. So in that cold water bath, it's pretty cold. So you, because it's a well water, and then you, you know, put it on the head. So there used to be mantra, which, which was, some people would simply say, Har Har Gange, Har Har Gange. And with, you know, you feel so warm. After just you need for those two, three, after that it's all warm. <laughs> but otherwise, it used to be Ganga, Che Yamana, Che Kaveri, Che Narmada. So it's like may in this little bowl all the waters of the great rivers come into it. Now what are these rivers? They are the ones around along their banks the Indian civilization has developed and flourished. So Shubindu describes in a very interesting way. Its boundaries are formed by the seas on the east and west. It's later on that the countries have come. Seas on the east and the west. Literally would include Pakistan, Bangladesh and all these. See, when mother made the spiritual map of India, she had seen this. And that's why when somebody asked her, how can I serve the country? He says, find your psychic being and love the soul of India. Let your psychic being love the soul of India. Then you can be of use. So here it is something very interesting. He says, Ganga, Jamuna, Narmada, Krishna, Godavari, flow here unceasingly. Of course, Kaveri, it's included. Here are ancient cities, tall and imposing temples, artistically designed palatial homes. Such is the part of this earth we call India. Just he's describing the outer body of India. It is this picture, this figure that comes to us when we speak of a nation. This is the gross body of a nation. Bankim Chandra's song, Bande Mataram, describes this aspect very beautifully. So, Shubindu did translate the Anandamat, um, 15, 13 plus 2 later on, chapters, not the full book, and the song Bande Mataram into English. But that is forms part of the another volume of uh, Shubindu's writings. 33 crores of people, now what is the Sukshma Sharir? What does it it contained 33 crores of people live on this land with their joys and sorrows their good and bad desires they are all part of its subtle body so there is an importance of working on the masses because if that doesn't change the subtle body will always remain full of sickness and disease then there are aspects of the country which may undergo changes in the course of time, yet always remain in the body, in seed state, as permanent as the atom. They are always present there and being the origin, it is out of them that the future takes shape. This is the causal body of the nation. So we see that he is describing, one is the physical India, then the cultural aspects of India, the thoughts of people, their way of life. So we all contribute in some way or the other the real democracy that at least if we can live with the true spirit of India every little bit that adds. And then we have 
finally the causal body which is the great rishi is who have formed this land if we go trace back to the roots of indian civilization and i often give this comparison um what are the roots of america how did it start <laughs> well the red indians being driven out and killed by people who came in search of india i'm sure god must have bhatka out them you know they were in search of india so with all their guns what they did to red indians of course in india they would have met far more um, you know sturdy kings but the divine said it's better you go right now into another land so that's how you know america began history so the independence day that is celebrated there is independence from the queen because they were renegade people who said no we don't obey the queen from whom we have come we have our own constitution so that's the independence and then you have australia where again all these people had gone you know but in india if you trace back right in the beginning you will hit the vedas and what are the vedas they are the words of the rishi so in india the that permanent thing that runs through the very vein of india right from its inception right up to modern times and so will it be it is the rishis the seers the saints the sages the mystics the god lovers that's what we see throughout the story of india so that he reveals in his journalistic writings and then of course uh, plenty of things one of the um, favorite writings which uh, we have read in another context but separately is the bourgeois and the samurai so he saw that people in india are very happy still with the bourgeois ideal so they are happy with the crumbs that they receive as long as their personal life is comfortable and that's why shubindu says in durga stroth india lies low in selfishness and when mother was asked what is it that is the number one cause of india's decline she says selfishness everybody is bothered only about their own little life they and the family and at the most when they think about the national life is that i paid my tax and then they want everything to be nothing beyond it so this selfishness and this want of shakti in bhavani mandir he says because we didn't worship shakti shakti abandoned us so there he gives us the message of the mother what does the shakti want of us what does india want of us so this uh, continues uh, lot of writings almost roughly running into hundreds shubindu's writings here a word needs to be mentioned that uh, how these writings have been actually taken out so because during that time the nature of the british government and uh, and uh, you know the kind of uh, hounding that was going on they were not signed as by shubindu he wrote them but they were not signed so there are number of articles which he himself has said he has written and so they have been taken and put here there are number of articles where there is almost 100% surety that it is by shurbindo they are also put here and there are uh, certain articles some you know you will see it in the editor's note some 100 plus articles which there is a reasonable assumption that they are by shurbindo Shubindu is not confirmed because much of these writings have uh, come up later because India till forty seven was under the British rules and it was very difficult to cull out these writings. So, uh, but yes, if you read it through, one can see it very clearly. For instance, there is uh, one of the uh, places where he writes about unity. 
and he says an open letter to those who despair of their country to the sons of her mother bharat who disclaim their sonhood to the children of languor and selfishness to the wars of safety and ease so here again the bourgeois and the samurai comes several places in shurabindo's writings here it takes this form to the fathers of despair and death greeting so we can see shurabindo's characteristic ironic humor so is greeting them okay come all you sons of despair to those who impugning the holiness of their mother refuse to lift her out of danger lest they defile their own spotless hands she is fallen into mud and they say no 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 we should not better to say that she has fallen in the mud and keep her hands clean to those who call on her to purify herself before they will save her from the imminent and already descending sword of death greeting that's how he greets them that come i am i have a word to tell you so you know it is so beautiful even today we see this attitude people just blame complain criticize and they want to migrate here there well if they migrate it's fine but you know they continue to be here and keep on cursing okay if you feel that there is a problem come it's our land lift it out do your bit maybe a small bit put your hands in the mud but that nobody wants to do but curse and complain and this government that government so this is the attitude of the selfish attitude lastly to those who love and perhaps have striven for her but having now grown themselves faint and hopeless bid others to despair and cease to them also greeting and then he starts brothers for whom you know this speech when i read it really somehow reminds me of uh, you know when julius caesar has died and uh, mark antony has to address friends romans countrymen so he comes to speak on behalf now here is shobindo speaking on behalf of india brothers for whether unwise friends or selfish enemies of my mother you are still her children the very first you know it stirs you there is a common voice among you spreading dismay and weakness in the hearts of the people for you say to each other and to all who would speak to you of their country let us leave these things and look to our daily bread again looks like he is writing it today as relevant today i wish in 150 years this just uh, throwing a proposal in the air shubhendra you know bande matram writings selection can be taken out some newspaper should take the lead and as a weekly sunday column <laughs> bring out one writing for one year and they are so relevant they are not of the past when you read it you know aren't there enough people who still despair dismay or who want when everything will be fine then we will see so he is addressing them addressing us we are fallen and depraved and our sins grow upon us day by day we suffer and are oppressed and oppression increases with every setting of the sun we are weak and languid and our weakness grows weaker and our languor more languid every time the sun rises in the east we are sick and broken we are idle and cowardly we are we perish every year from famine and plague disease decimates us with every decade poverty annihilates family after family where there were a hundred in one house there are now 10 where there was once a flourishing village the leopard and the jackal will soon inhabit god is adverse to us 
and our cells are worst enemies we are decaying from within and smitten from without so he's taking stock of the situation just as it is this sword has been taken out of our hands and the bread is being taken out of our mouths worst of all we are disunited beyond hope of union and without union we must err long perish it may be 5 decades or it may be 10 but very soon this great and ancient nation will have perished from the face of the earth and the negro or the malay will inherit the homes of our fathers and till the fields to glut the pockets and serve the pleasure of the englishman or the russian meanwhile it is well that the congress should meet once a year and deceive the country with an appearance of life that there should be posts for the children of the soil with enough salary to keep a few from starving that a soulless education should suck the vigor and sweetness out of the body and heart and brain of our children with such siren song do you slay the hearts of those who have still force and courage to strive against fate and would rescue our mother out of the hands of dis- destruction and then he continues come therefore let us reason calmly together and then of course we have finally this um, bhavani mandir where he says what india needs is shakti so let's be done away with all these you know um, whole lot of i want to use the word all kind we love to you know discuss a lot in the head but when it comes to ground we don't want to live it continue to remain the same selfish race so this is enough of these debates and discussions on what vedanta is what advaita is what vishishta advaita is let's be on the ground and receive shakti but shakti will come only when we are prepared for shakti so here he says the message of the mother when therefore you ask who is bhavani the mother she herself answers you am the infinite energy which streams forth from the eternal in the world and eternal in yourselves am the mother of the universe the mother of the worlds and for you who are children of the sacred land are a bhumi made of her clay and reared by her sun and winds am bhavani bharati mother of india then if you ask why we should erect a temple to bhavani the mother hear her answer because i have commanded it and because by making a center for the future religion you will be furthering the immediate will of the eternal and storing up merit which will make you strong in this life and great in another come then hearken to the call of the mother shubhin this calling all of us she is already in our hearts willing to waiting to manifest herself waiting to be worshiped inactive because the god in us is concealed by tamas troubled by her inactivity sorrowful because her children will not call on her to help them you down the imprisoning walls you who feel her strong within you stirring within you fling off the black veil of self break down the imprisoning walls of indolence help her each as you feel impelled with your bodies or with your intellect or with your speech or with your wealth or with your prayers and worship each man according to his capacity draw not back now comes a word of warning 
and caution draw not back for against those who were called and heard her not remember the hour of god is in that vein those who were called and heard her not she may well be wroth in the day of her coming but to those who help her advent even a little how radiant with beauty and kindness will be the face of their mother so powerful and two more which uh, you know with which we can pause so this is what it's just a very brief glimpse it's a thousand page book but worth reading every bit of it very interesting in this book it closes uh, with you know an appendix a birthday interview guess when did she been to give it she been to give it while he was in the alipur jail it's 1908 august 15 and there he says by next august i will be free either returning from andaman or otherwise and he says and people remark that otherwise he used to remain all the time you'll see a description of what shirobindo was by the newspaper that he would remain withdrawn as if in his dream world with no connection with the world but on that day particularly he was a very different person much later shirobindo would explain that on his birthdays there used to be a special descent and that he experiences so that is of course um, we'll not uh, read today we'll close with this two beautiful portions from bande matram swaraj he defines swaraj so we think swaraj is just about rule self rule in terms of outward but for sure bindu swaraj was always had a double meaning self rule we must be master of ourselves swaraj and then samraj and it needed also political freedom so he said political freedom is important because without political freedom a subject nation cannot realize swaraj because you are all the time driven at the whims and fancies of everyone else so we must be politically free so that we can realize the true freedom for which we are born swaraj is life it is nectar and salvation swaraj in a nation is the breath of life without breath of life a man is dead so if we don't seek swaraj then we might as well say we are a dead people and that's what shurbindo during second world war he says he had seen through hitler he says if you people want me to close the ashram tell me frankly but hitler's coming into india would mean for 10000 years this work is delayed that time people didn't know what he stood for so also without swaraj a nation is dead swaraj being the life of a nation it is essential for it and finally it's one of the most powerful there are several powerful passages and um i wish somebody just took out those passages i am trying to make an issue on just bande matram shubindu's writings but still you know because there he speaks about uh, krishna's story and he says just like in krishna's story there are three stages in a nation's development much later in bengali writing he speak about the yoga of the nation so first stage is where krishna is a little baby and there is an attempt to oppress and slay so that is the first step stage and we know that you know how to oppress and slay second is krishna develops and he says that how krishna develops and how he has to be developed and then he he develops grows in strength and the third is the slaying of kansa so these are the three stages and in fact it's true in every life even individual yoga is like that first the mind and vital and everything comes to 
finish the soul life which is beginning to blossom. The mind with its doubt, the vital with its, you know, vega boundaries <laughs> and so on and so forth. And then the next step is soul life is developed and there behind and there are the other life. Both, are, both have developed simultaneously. And then the final stage is the finishing of this uh, old consciousness and the complete new consciousness everywhere. So we close with a word of promise which we see in Bandi Matram. India cannot perish. Our race cannot become extinct. Because among all the divisions of mankind, it is to India that is reserved the highest and the most splendid destiny. This is before 1908. When an average person was believing that my Bap, today also, they are the ones from whom we have to derive inspiration. Despite the hopeless situation in which things are going, yet inspiration must come from there. So, here he explains that is reserved the highest and the most splendid destiny. The most essential to the future of the human race. It is she who must send forth from herself the future religion of the entire world. You see, later on, Independence Day message, India has to become the guru of the world. India has to give the spiritual wisdom to the world. And he says that gift has already begun. And all these dreams that he saw that time, freedom of India and the gift to the world, all these we see coming true. The rise of Asia, all this he mentions here. The eternal religion. So what India is to give, not this religion or that religion, but the Sanatan Dharma, the eternal religion, which is to harmonize all religion. Look, he is defining here eternal religion, Sanatan Dharma. It is one of the most beautiful definitions. Of course, after release from Alipur jail, uh, we know that you know his speech, where he's Uttarpada speech. So here he says, the eternal religion, which is to harmonize all religion, science and philosophies and make mankind one soul. One line definition. It is the inclusive religion. Because not only does it take the different approaches of mankind, that's one part, but also it harmonizes science, also it harmonizes philosophies and makes them one. In this sphere of morality, likewise, it is a mission to purge barbarism and in brackets he is used a word which is very interesting, Mlechahud. You know why this word is important? Because when you read in the Puranas about Kalki Avatar, it is described that he will come and slay the Mlechas. Shivinder literally used the word. Mlechahud. What is Mlechahud? Mlechas, the barbarics in everything, in speech, in actions. That barbaric self we have to completely slay. Out of humanity, it is a mission to purge barbarism out of humanity and to Aryanize the world. This was the thought that Hitler picked up the Asura and twisted it and turned it on its head. And in terms of Aryan, he created the sense of a superior race. Here, Shobindra is not speaking of a superior race in a physical boundary. He is speaking about a way of life which is all-inclusive, which includes science, philosophies, different approaches to God. Whereas if we look at Hitler, he used the word Arya, but it was by blood, the worst kind, you know, physically. And the same way the Britishers used this, Aryan Dravidian. 
it is not the way shurbindo used it the aryan always he describes it much later in 1914 was a highest type of humanity he uses the word shrest aristos shrest the highest the noblest the samurai who lives for the highest ideals and lays his down happily for those ideals selflessly he is the aryan in order to do this she must first re aryanize herself so it's not by physical birth in india that one becomes an indian one just have an indian passport it is by re aryanizing which shobindo says is to recover the vedanta the geeta the upanishad not only in thought but in life and action that we can truly become indians bande matram bande matram bande matram <laughs> okay